You're listening to the KCAC Beat. Now, introducing your hosts, Hans Nickel and Mark Hoffheinz. Hello and welcome to the KCAC Beat. It is Monday, November 7th, 2022, and we have a possible uh, KCAC champion, at least to share the champion this week. We'll hit that here later in this football podcast. But my name's Hans Nickel, Assistant Commissioner for Operations here at the Kansas Collegiate Athletic Conference. Along with me is Mark Hoffheinz, Assistant Commissioner for communications and sports information market has been an, an excellent weekend we had some conference championships start uh, one complete with uh, cross country congratulations to saint mary winning both the men's and women's cross country titles this saturday soccer's full swing as well volleyball gets started tomorrow it's conference championship season how excited are you about this time of year I'm excited, busy, but excited. So, um, like you said, soccer will be moving on, and I'll be at Striker Sports Complex from here on out. And then volleyball, um, as you said, starts tomorrow. And those first round games for volleyball will be at at home sites. So, if you're one of the the higher ranked seeds in those matchups, you'll be able to catch your team one more time. Uh, and then from there on out, volleyball will be Friday and Saturday at Hutchinson Sports Arena in Hutchinson, Kansas. So. Uh, kind of bouncing all, bouncing around all over the place this week, but we're excited and uh, excited to be in the postseason. Yeah, if you want to catch a little bit of information on the those volleyball matchups coming up, check out the Volleyball KCAC Beat podcast. Uh, the same with soccer. You'll have separate men's and women's soccer podcasts. You can catch what those are going to be semifinals on Wednesday after we had our quarterfinal matches this weekend in soccer. Uh, but enough about other sports. This is a football podcast. Let's jump into football and talk football with the KCAC Football Weekend Scoreboard. This is the KCAC Scoreboard. Looking at our first game, Kansas Wesleyan had a non-conference matchup this weekend, taking on Arkansas Baptist, who I believe played Avila last week. So um, a couple late non-conference games in the KCAC schedule, but uh, Kansas Wesleyan wins this one 67 to 10. They don't allow Arkansas Baptist to score until the third quarter. Uh, normally I might save the, the scoring breakdown until later, but not a particularly close game. Kansas Wesleyan kicks off the first quarter with uh, four straight touchdowns. Uh, first was at 1231 left in the first quarter. Nicholas Alsman, uh, one of their lead backs, scores on a 12 yard run. And with the extra point, that makes it 7 0 Coyotes. Tyler Boston, another one of the uh, key Kansas Wesleyan running backs, kind of in their, their top rotation. He scores on a one yard run with 825 left in the first quarter, makes it 14 0 Kansas Wesleyan at that point. Uh, then the Coyotes get a defensive touchdown, Ricardo Garcia. Recovers a fumble, runs it in. Uh, sounds like they had Arkansas Baptist backed up to their own two. Uh, Kansas Wesleyan forces the fumble. Garcia picks it up for a touchdown. That makes it 21 to nothing with 7.36 left in the first quarter. And then Mark Benjamin, probably the third guy in that Kansas Wesleyan running back uh, trio that they use a lot of. He scores on a two yard run to make it 28 to nothing, Kansas Wesleyan after the first quarter. Uh, second quarter, Tyler Boston gets his second touchdown of the day on the ground, a 39-yard touchdown run with 13.04 left. 
in the second quarter with the extra point that makes it 35 to nothing Kansas Wesleyan, which would be the score they would take into halftime. Uh, looking at the third quarter, Kansas Wesleyan starts out that quarter uh, scoring twice. Javon Macon catches a 48-yard touchdown pass from Tony White uh, with the extra point is 42 to nothing. Kansas Wesleyan with 13.57 left in the third quarter. Uh, then the Coyotes score uh, on on the ground. Tony White gets a 23-yard run. I uh, heard his name a lot in the beginning of the year. Uh, I think he's kind of been taken over for the top spot, but now back playing in this game, he scores on a 23-yard run to make it 49 to nothing. Coyotes. Uh, Arkansas Baptist Baptist gets their first points on the board with 4:29 left in the third quarter. They force a safety. So the score at that point is 49 to two, Kansas Wesleyan leading. Then the Coyotes score one more time in the third quarter. Jaconte Pitts scores on a 40 yard touchdown pass from Isaac Stanton uh, with the extra point. That makes it 56 to two entering the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, Aaron Main starts out the scoring for the Coyotes. Uh, their kicker, he kicks a 37 yard field goal, makes it 59 to two with 10.09 left in the game. Uh, then the Coyotes score on a one-yard run. Again, sounds like they had uh, Arkansas Baptist backed up in their own territory. This is a one-play, one-yard drive in two seconds. So Jaron Hightower scores on a one-yard run to make it 67-2. to two. And then Arkansas Baptist does get their lone touchdown of the day with 103 left in the game. Calvin Mitchell catches a 32-yard pass from Fisher Ort to make it 67-10, to 10, which would end up being the final. Uh, with that score, you would think Kansas Wesleyan would dominate the, the team statistics, which they did. First downs, 27 for the Coyotes compared to only eight for Arkansas Baptist. Uh, Kansas Wesleyan able to convert in third and fourth down situations. 46% third down conversion rate on 13 attempts, so they were 6 of 13 there. And then for fourth down uh, situations, Kansas Wesleyan converted on 50% of those, going 1 of 2. Coyotes had 447 total yards of offense compared to only 109 for Arkansas Baptist. Uh, on net yards passing, Coyotes had 209 yards as a team compared to 101 yards passing for Arkansas Baptist. Net rushing yards is where you see the big difference. Uh, Kansas Wesleyan, 238 rushing yards on 53 attempts. That's a four and a half yard average per rush. Um, and then they only allowed eight rushing yards to Arkansas Baptist on 42 carries. Now that is a 0.2 uh gain per rush average. So Kansas Wesleyan defense really able to hold Arkansas Baptist's running game in check. Uh, as far as punts go, obviously Arkansas Baptist was was struggling on the day, facing a tough Kansas Wesleyan defense, so they had to punt eight times for 253 yards. Uh, Coyotes only had to punt twice for 63 yards. Um, looking at penalties, neither team was penalized too heavily. Three penalties for each team. And then time of possession, Kansas Wesleyan able to uh, to lead that slightly 30 minutes and 27 seconds compared to 29 minutes and 33 seconds for Arkansas Baptist. Uh, what are some individual statistics that jump out to you on offense? So we'll start with Kansas Wesleyan here. So we have three different players throw passes in this game for Kansas Wesleyan, though there's not a lot of passing that actually happens for the Coyotes. Uh, Richard Laura, the starter, uh, had the most yards, goes 5 of 10, 90 yards, including a, a long of 42. 
Uh, but both Isaac Stanton and Tony White throw passes in this one as well. Both throw for a touchdown. Stanton goes three of five for 67 with a touchdown. Tony White goes three of five for 52 uh, and a touchdown. Uh, the big statistic, though, is is rushing statistics individually. So there's 13 different Coyotes that gets care that get carries in this game as Kansas Wesleyan, obviously uh, aware of what the score is, and they just run the clock and run the ball. Uh, Nicholas Alsman, a really e- efficient game for him. He's really the the top back for. Uh, the the Coyotes goes for 63 yards, which you're like, oh, man, that's not a ton of yards. That was on six carries. So 10.5 yards per carry average gets in the end zone once. Uh, and his day ends a little early, it seems, as more backs get, uh, get some more touches. Tony White, uh, that backup quarterback, goes 12 attempts, 62 yards and a touchdown. Tyler Boston, 7 attempts, 55 yards, 2 touchdowns. Mark Benjamin, 7 attempts, 33 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and then Jaron Hightower, 1 attempt, that 1 yard. That's the, all of your backs that score touchdowns. But again, 13 different players getting uh, rushes in this game for uh, Kansas Wesley. And the, the top kind of stat line for the, the Coyotes individually, uh, Drevin Macon, um, five receptions, goes over the century mark, 118 yards, 23.6 average, scores a touchdown there. Uh, Jaconte Pitts also gets a, a touchdown as well, receiving, goes two receptions, 60 yards, including a 40-yard f- touchdown reception. Um, so those are the the main receivers for Kansas Wesleyan in this one. Aaron Main kicking a decent day, gets 11 points, eight of eight on extra points, does go one and two, one of two on field goal attempts. The one he makes is 37 uh, yards for Arkansas Baptist. Uh, not a lot going on. They're really uh, top stat line on the day was in receiving Calvin Mitchell gets two receptions for 41 yards and a touchdown uh, that's really their big offensive statistic what stood out to you defensively Mark uh, we'll look at Arkansas Baptist first they're led by Keyshawn Whaley he had 18 total tackles on the day so that's the probably the standout statistic day for Arkansas Baptist uh, he had one sack which was part of one and a half tackles for loss. And he also forced a fumble on the day. Uh, Keandre Bynum recovered the fumble for uh, Arkansas Baptist on the day. Also had four uh, tackles on the day. And Arkansas Baptist, they able to get a little bit of pressure in the backfield on Kansas Wesleyan. Nine tackles for loss for a total of 45 yards, included four sacks. But Kansas Wesleyan is able to convert on, on some big plays here and there and able to take advantage of their scoring opportunities. As far as Kansas Wesleyan, uh, kind of like you mentioned on offense with running backs, there's going to be a lot of, as the score got out of hand, a lot of Coyotes getting in and and uh, getting tackles on the day. So uh, pretty pretty even across the board and, and fairly low tackle numbers. Um, but the leading tackler on the day was Devontae Gabriel, eight total tackles, including a tackle for loss. Uh, Rico Moore had a good day, four tackles, uh, half a tackle for loss, and a fumble recovery. Lucas Rockford had four tackles and a forced fumble. Um, as well as pass breakup. Ricardo Garcia, three tackles on the day, half a sack, and a fumble recovery. Um, so Coyotes forcing some turnovers there, uh, getting pressure in the backfield, 10 tackles for loss, including two sacks. So um, as I mentioned, a lot of Coyotes getting action on defense, but um, making the most of their opportunities when they can and trying to get the ball back for their offense. But 
Moving on to our next matchup, uh, which will be Sterling at Ottawa. So Sterling hits the road and heads to Ottawa University. Uh, and on the road, Sterling able to get the victory in this one, 28 to 13. Uh, it's Ottawa that starts the scoring in the game, though, in the first quarter, 1041 left to play. Uh, Lewis McMullen hits a 36-yard field goal. Ottawa takes the 3-0 lead, and that is the score at the end of the first quarter. Not a lot of scoring in the first quarter. Uh, Sterling takes the lead in the second quarter, though, 12-10 to play. Uh, David Timmons gets a 10-yard touchdown reception from Rockland Baptist, Baptista. Um, and it makes it 7-2-3. Sterling, Ottawa gets the lead change, takes the lead into halftime as Jermaine Ziegel scores on a five-yard pass from Austin Zavala. It's 10-7 Ottawa at the half. Third quarter, very similar to the first quarter with the exception of nobody scores. So it stays uh, close. It's a 10-7 Ottawa lead heading into the fourth quarter, which saw a lot of action. Sterling jumps ahead and, and starts that fourth quarter comeback just at the very front end of the fourth quarter. 14 minutes, 50 seconds left, so just 10 seconds in. Uh, Kenneth Arios gets a 14-yard touchdown reception from Baptista. Uh, makes it 14-10. Then Sterling extends the lead on a defensive play. 12.55 to go in the fourth quarter. Hunter Poland gets a fumble recovery. Takes it back 60 yards to really start to pull away, at least we think, from Ottawa at that point. Ottawa does get points with 9.29 left in the fourth quarter. Lewis McMullen, 27-yard field goal, makes it 21-13. Sterling still in the lead, and Sterling puts the game away with 7.46 left in the fourth quarter, scoring their third fourth quarter touchdown Ryan Stuckey a 27 yard touchdown run makes it 28-13 no one scores from that point on and Sterling gets the victory you look at the team statistics one that kind of stands out is Ottawa gets 21 first downs compared to just 13 for Sterling so Sterling gets some big plays uh, mainly defensively as well with that 60 yard fumble recovery Ottawa really dominates in that first grant first down statistic though third down efficiency in favor of ottawa 48 percent to 33 percent total offense in favor of ottawa 372 yards to just 246 for sterling and then you, if you really want to look at it look at total offensive plays ottawa nearly doubles sterling's offensive plays in this game ottawa 90 offensive plays sterling just 50 offensive plays uh, but it's it's Sterling that still gets the victory here. Net passing yards or yeah, net passing yards in favor of Ottawa, 268 to 83. Sterling does get the advantage in rushing yards, 163 to 104. Uh, Ottawa punts just twice on the day for 75 yards. Sterling punts six times, 208 yards. Um, penalties. Really pretty even uh, in terms of numbers. Sterling, three penalties. Ottawa, four penalties. Ottawa's penalties were a little more costly, though. Those four penalties go for 51 yards. Sterling's three penalties for 14 yards. Both teams lose a fumble uh, in this game. 
Sterling does get an interception on top of that. So Sterling wins the turnover battle two to one. Ottawa wins time of possession, 33 minutes to 26 minutes for Sterling. What individual statistics stood out to you, Mark? Taking a look at Ottawa first, I, I don't know how many of these pass attempts were in the, the second half or the, the fourth quarter specifically when Ottawa's playing catch up, but Austin Zavala of the Braves, 26 of 50 on the day, uh, 268 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Uh, looking at rushing for the Braves, Jared Daniels leads the team in rush yards with 36 on only six carries. So that's a six yard average there for him. Zavala leads the team in, in carries with 18. Uh, but for only 33 yards, that's a 1.8-yard average. And then Peyton Roberts uh, also had double-digit carries on the day for Ottawa, 10 carries for 11 yards. That is a 1.1-yard average. Uh, receiving on the day, probably the, the standout statistical line for Ottawa's Jermaine Ziegler, or Ziegler, excuse me. Uh, he led the team in catches and receiving yards, nine catches for 100 yards. That's an 11.1-yard average. Uh, he also scores a touchdown on the day. Jamar Davis and Peyton Roberts both have 40 yards on the day. Davis's is only on one catch. Uh, Roberts is on five catches for an average of eight yards. And then let's see, five other Braves catch passes on the day. Uh, kicking, you mentioned Lewis McMullen in the scoring breakdown. He had two field goals on the day, uh, two of three on field goals for a long of 36 yards. And then he had an extra point on the day as well. So he scores seven points to try to help the Braves there. Uh, punting, as you mentioned, Ottawa didn't punt a lot, only two times. Adam Gilbert had to punt for 75 yards. Uh, and then we'll move over to Sterling. Rockland Baptista, uh, the quarterback, 9 of 14, passing for 60 yards, uh, but made throws when it counted. He had two touchdowns and only threw one interception. And T.C. Smith also had a pass on the day. He's one of one for 23 yards. Uh, rushing on the day for Sterling. I'd say this is probably their standout stat line. Ryan Stuckey, 21 carries, 4.3 yard average. Uh, also had a touchdown on the day. Dylan Reese, a little bit more efficient on less carries. He only had six carries, but took it for 71 yards. So that's 11.8 yard average. Uh, and then two other Warriors had carries on the day. Myrie Goodwin Legree and then Rockland Baptiste, the quarterback. Um, both had carries on the day for Warriors. Receiving wise for Sterling, David Timmons leads the team in catches and yards. Three catches for 50 yards. That's a 16.7 yard average and also gets a touchdown on the day. Kenneth Arroyos, two catches, but one of those catches is a touchdown uh, for 20 yards. Then TC Smith, uh, the only other receiver with positive yardage for Sterling, two catches for 18 yards. That's a nine yard average. Like looking at kicking for Sterling, Luis Franco, four or four and extra points. Mason Cobb, the punter, six punts for 208 yards. Uh, it's a 34.7 yard average. Uh, he had one of them was a touchback and one of them was inside the 20. And that's about it for offensive and special team statistics. What stands out to you on defense? We'll start with Ottawa. It's that conference leading tackler, A.J. Hemphill, has another good game for Ottawa. 15 total tackles in this one, including half a tackle for a loss. Uh, James Gladden also has a good game, gets a sack, um, which is one of his four uh, tackles for a loss that resulted in negative 16 yards, uh, had seven total tackles on the day. Uh, Kevin Wade, 
sits six tackles, including one for a loss. Uh, also has an interception in this one uh, and breaks up a pass. Uh, Samad Ali, five total tackles, half a tackle for a loss, but forces and recovers a fumble and takes it back 64 yards before he is tackled. Uh, those are the big performers for Ottawa. For Sterling, Hunter Poland, a big game uh, for the Warriors, 13 tackles and the one fumble recovery that he takes back to the house, scores the defensive touchdown on a 60-yard uh, return there as well. Flinders Cameron, a big game for Sterling. Six total tackles. Half of those were sacks, so three sacks on the day results in negative 19 yards. Caleb Lambert, uh, that last name may be familiar to you if you followed Sterling College football for a while, the son of former Warrior head coach uh, Chuck Lambert and the nephew of all-time Sterling winningest coach Andy Lambert. Uh, Six tackles, gets an interception, takes it back 22 yards, breaks up four passes, so a big game uh, by the Warrior defensive back. Diego Moran, also a good game with nine total tackles, two tackles for a loss, and a pass breakup as Sterling goes on the road. A nice day in Ottawa, 53 degrees at kickoff at Advent Health Field. Um, But let's go ahead and move on to our next matchup. Our next matchup we'll take a look at is Bethany traveling to Hillsboro to take on Tabor. Uh, in the first quarter, Tabor scores twice. The first is on a Deontay Hill uh, 19-yard catch from quarterback Gustavo Villarreal with 7-0-1 left in the first quarter. That makes it 7-0 Blue Jays at that point. Uh, then with time expiring in the first quarter, Villarreal hooks up with Jerry and Allen on a 60-yard touchdown pass. Uh, that is a kind of a two-minute drill at the end of the first quarter. Uh, Four-play, 79-yard drive in a minute, 47 seconds. Uh, that score makes it 14-0 Tabor at that point. Uh, the only other score in the first half was again by Tabor. Uh, Villarreal and Deontay Hill hook up for their second touchdown connection of the day. 11-play, uh, 80-yard drive in five minutes and 42 seconds there in the second quarter. Makes it 21-0 Tabor, which would be the score heading into halftime. And then the second half, uh, scoring again all Tabor, but both of the uh, touchdowns scored in the second half by Tabor were on defense. The third quarter with a minute 48 left, Martavian Jacks intercepts the ball and takes it 43 yards to the house to make it 28-0 to Tabor at that point. And then the final score on the day, Wyatt Lepke gets an interception for the Blue Jays, takes it 35 yards to score a touchdown. Makes it 35 to nothing. Tabor with 7.36 left, which would end up being the final. Looking at stats on the day, Tabor leads in first downs 18 compared to only eight for Bethany. Uh, third and fourth down conversion efficiency, both go in Tabor's way. 36% conversion rate for the Blue Jays compared to 23% for Bethany. And then on fourth down conversions, Tabor goes two of four for 50% compared to 0% for Bethany not attempting to go for it on those situations. Uh, Looking at total offense, Tabor uh, over 200 yards more in total offense, 334 yards for the Blue Jays, compared to only 125 for Bethany. Uh, Net yards passing, Tabor leads here as well. 170 total passing yards compared to 104 for the Swedes. Uh, Biggest area of where you, where you see a difference and may tell the story of the game. 164 rushing yards for the Blue Jays compared to only 21 for Bethany. 
uh, on 32 carries. That's a 0.7 yard average for the Swedes on the ground. Uh, Swedes, just kind of based off the score, you may be able to figure this out, but Swedes had to punt more on the day. Seven punts for 152 yards compared to only two punts on the day for Tabor. Uh, Looking at penalties, fairly even. Uh, Tabor actually penalized more. Six penalties for 49 yards compared to uh, five penalties for the Swedes for for 36 yards. Uh, Tabor does lose two fumbles on the day, uh, but they kind of make up for it by getting three interceptions. So uh, kind of back and forth game there. Uh, what do you see on offense that stands out to you between these two teams as far as individual statistics go? So we'll start with Bethany. Uh, Justin Rodriguez, the quarterback, goes 8 of 19, 104 yards, and throws three interceptions in the game. Uh, he also uh, ends up with negative 49 rushing yards on nine attempts. Um, that's a, a little bit of a skewed statistic because he gets sacked seven times in this game. Uh, so a lot of pressure on him. Those seven uh, sacks resulted in negative 49 yards. So really, if you want to look at those rushing statistics, it's really like two rushes for zero yards. Um, but uh, it comes out looking much worse. Their top rusher was Josiah Hardrick, uh, 20 attempts, 70 yards. Uh, top receiver was Demetric uh, Tony, six receptions 88 yards it's a 14.7 average and the special teams for uh, bethany zeke mumford 0 of one on field goal attempts uh he was also the punter punts it seven times 152 yards it's a 21.7 average his long on the day was 29 yards um so that's really the, the kicking statistics there. Tabor is where you see a lot of the, the bigger offensive stats. Gustavo Villarreal, 10 of 15 passing on the day, 151 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. So a pretty efficient and effective day throwing the ball. Then Tabor gets the lead and they start start running it. So their top rusher in terms of attempts was Jacob Field, 17 attempts, 48 yards. Uh, Jordan Bolden, the the had the most yardage 13 attempts for 51 yards um receiving jerry and allen one reception 60 yards that one was a touchdown then deontay hill three for 52 yards uh, including two touchdown receptions um, special teams nathan hellig uh, o of one on extra on field goals five of five on extra points scores five points Brandon Cano uh, punts it only twice 43.5 yard average 87 yards total both of those go in the 20 so does a good job with helping Tabor with the field position uh, the few times that he's called to punt the ball um, in this one what stood out to you defensively Mark taking a look at Bethany first their leading tackler Connor Payomo had nine tackles on the day including a tackle for loss and a fumble recovery. Uh, Looking at some other key performances, Christian Atkins, six tackles for the Swedes, including two tackles for loss. Uh, Cameron Brown, only two tackles on the day, but one of those is a tackle for loss. And then Keanu Ebisu recovered a fumble on the day. Uh, Shane Harris had a turnover on the day. He had an interception that he returned for 30 yards. And then Bethany did force three fumbles on the day, but they're all credited to the team, so... I'm not sure if it was something that was kind of in the middle of a pile. Couldn't tell who who forced the fumble there. But um, Bethany able to to force some turnovers, just not able to really capitalize on it. 
um, and lead that to to scoring opportunities. Looking at Tabor, Wyatt Lepke had a really great day. Six total tackles. Uh, five of his six tackles were tackles for loss, and three of those were sacks. So he's really getting in the backfield and and uh, messing things up for the Bethany offense. His five tackles for loss were, were for a loss of 23 yards. Um, his three sacks led to a loss of 20 yards. Uh, he also had that interception that he returned for a touchdown. So outstanding game on about every level for Wyatt Lepke. Uh, Martavian Jackson, four total tackles on the day, had a tackle for a loss. And then he was that other scoring play, I believe, yep, in the uh, third quarter for Tabor on defense. He has an interception that he returns 43 yards to the house. Uh, Charles Jones, only three tackles on the day, but he uh, was another interception that the, tab- the Tabor defense got and also looks like he either blocked a kick or blocked a punt there. Um, looking at some other impact performers, uh, Carter Meyer and Ismail Alvarez both have two tackles for loss on the day on a limited number of tackles, so making the impact uh, when they can. As a team, Tabor had 15 tackles for loss for a loss of 63 yards and seven of those 15 tackles for for loss were sacks so Tabor defense definitely applying pressure on bethany and getting the ball back to their offense when it mattered uh but now we'll move on to uh, our next matchup which is southwestern at friends our next three matchups all have bearing on the conference championship race as southwestern avila and bethel all battling uh, right now at the top of the conference standing. So we'll start with Southwestern's game as they head on the road to Adair Austin Stadium in Wichita to take on Friends University. And Southwestern leaves no doubt as to uh, their intention to uh, compete for that title as they uh, shut Friends out and they go on the road and win this one 28 to nothing. Uh, there's no scoring in the first quarter, but then Southwestern uh, – does get a touchdown in the second quarter. This one on a Brad Cagle 21-yard run uh, to make it 7-0, uh, which is the score going into half. Southwestern comes out and gets another touchdown in the third quarter. This one on a Martez Jones, the second seven-yard run to make it 14-0. And then Southwestern scores two more in the fourth quarter uh, with 11.40 to play. It's Marchez Jones again. This time he breaks a, a big play, goes 63 yards uh, to score the touchdown on a touchdown rush. And then with 50 seconds to go, the final minute of the game, Southwestern uh, with the ball goes eight plays, 54 yards uh, while they're running clock. Um, and Brad Cagle's able to run it in from four yards out. Uh, to be that final score and really put the nail in the coffin as Southwestern shuts out friends 28 to nothing. Looking at team statistics, Southwestern wins the first down um, battle. 16 first downs compared to 12 from friends uh, though southwestern not very efficient on third down only goes one of nine on third downs it's an 11 percent conversion rate uh, friends goes eight of 18 faces a lot more third downs um, converts them at a 44 percent rate total offense is in favor of southwestern 357 uh, yards to 189 yards uh, southwestern much more efficient on their plays go 55 total plays uh, for southwestern a 6.5 yards per play average friends a lot more of that ball control 63 total plays but only three yards 
uh, per play average. Net passing yards in favor of Southwestern, 123 to 17. Southwestern throws it 20 times compared to just seven times uh, for friends. Um, Southwestern, no interceptions on the day. In terms of throwing, Friends is picked off once in the game. Net rushing yards, uh, typically this is where Friends dominates, but Southwestern wins this battle here. 234 rushing yards to 172 for Friends. Again, Southwestern highly efficient on those 35 rushes, 6.7 yards. Friends, 56 rushes, rushes 3.1 yards per carry. Uh, Punting, fairly even here. Southwestern punts it six times for 152 yards. Friends seven times for 250 yards. Uh, Penalties played a big role in this one. This was a highly penalized game. Southwestern, six penalties, 84 yards. Friends, 12 penalties, 102 yards. Uh, Friends loses a fumble on the day. Um, Southwestern... um, does get one interception so southwestern wins the turnover battle here two to nothing uh, and then time of possession in favor of friends 35 minutes to 24 minutes for southwestern what stood out to you individually on the offensive end mark uh taking a look at friends first on offense jack mullen the quarterback three of seven on the day for 17 yards but does throw an interception uh rushing you had three falcons that had a, a four yard or better uh, average per carry, so um, not an inefficient day by a good group of their running backs. Zach Dressler, 18 carries for 94 yards. That's a 5.2-yard average. Lakin Cloudus, uh, only six carries, but he got 35 yards. It's a 5.8-yard average. And then Quentin Owens, seven carries for 32 yards, um, which is a 4.6-yard average. I would say where friends really got stifled in the running game was uh, Southwestern was able to shut down Jack Mullen, the quarterback, on his legs. He had 20 carries, um, and he's only sacked once, so it's not like that's elevated by by getting sacked. He had 20 carries on the day for only 12 yards. Um, it's a 0.6-yard average, so I think sounds like Friends' uh, plan was to get Mullen involved in the running game, and Southwestern able to really shut that down there. Uh, receiving-wise for the Falcons, Kevin Green, one catch for 10, for 10 yards, and Austin Pratt, two catches for seven yards. Uh, Bobby Schmidt, usually a, a big factor in the kicking game for friends, just not really able to get a lot of opportunities today. Um, 0-1 on field goals and then didn't have the opportunity to kick any extra points. Uh, he did have a good day punting, seven punts for 250 yards um, with two of those seven punts down inside the 20. And then the kickoff game, he only had to kick off once uh, for 65 yards, and that was a touchback there. Looking at Southwestern's offensive statistics, Brad Cagle, 12 of 20 on the day for 123 yards passing, uh, where you really see the impact on offenses in the rushing game for Southwestern. Martez Jones, the second, uh, only 10 carries, but picks up 89 yards for an 8.9-yard average, and two of his 10 carries go for a score. Brad Cagle, the quarterback, uh, actually leads the team and carries with 14, picks up 77 yards for a 5.5-yard average. And two of his carries go for a touchdown. Uh, the other, I would say, lead back on the day for Southwestern was to close Coleman. He had seven carries for 39 yards. It's a five-and-a-half-yard average. Uh, looking at receiving on the day for the Mound Builders, Keyshawn Jones leads the team in both catches and yards, five catches for 68 yards uh, for a 13.6-yard average. Josh Etson has three catches on the day for 31 yards. It's a, over a 10-yard average there. And then... 
Matthew Holhusen picks up two catches on the day. Lake Hoffman gets one catch on the day. And Martez Jones, the second, getting involved in the receiving game as well, uh, gets one catch on the day. Gabriel Medrano, the kicker for Southwestern, four four on extra points. So he adds, adds four points to their tally there. Um, he's also their punter. Six punts for 152 yards for him. And then he did have five kickoffs on the day for 244 yards, uh, one touchback on those five kickoffs. What do you see on defense that stands out to you as far as individual statistics? We'll start with friends. Their leading tackler on the day was Nolan Ewing. He had eight total tackles in this one. In terms of just tackles for a loss, Friends only able to get three tackles for a loss in this game, two of which were sacks. Uh, So Davon Mason had five total tackles on the day, one tackle for a loss. Then uh, Khalil Cherry, three tackles, one sack for negative seven yards. Uh, And Makai Bird, two tackles, one sack for negative nine yards. Uh, Those were really the defensive statistics that stood out on the friend side. A lot of defensive statistics stand out on the southwestern side, though. Uh, Riley Havard uh, all over the field in this one. 16 total tackles, one tackle for a loss, breaks up a pass. There's four builders that end up in double-figure tackles. Uh, Caden Boy and Josh Carter both get 12 total tackles. Josh Carter adds half a tackle for a loss in that one. Then Cameron Cornelius gets 10 total tackles, including uh, one tackle for a loss of negative three yards. Jacarius Smith, nine total tackles, is tackle and a half for a loss. Uh, Richard Holmes, seven tackles, forces and recovers a fumble. Uh, Shane Rodriguez, seven total tackles as well, including a sack and two tackles for a loss uh, for Southwestern. Those are the standout defensive statistics as Southwestern stays in that hunt for the KCAC uh, championship. Let's go ahead and move to our next matchup. As you mentioned earlier, another team in the hunt for the KCAC title, Avila, travels to McPherson to take on the Bulldogs. Uh, In this game, McPherson scores first on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Avery Crawford picks up a fumble and takes it 21 yards to the house. Uh, with 12.48 left in the first quarter, and they get 6 to nothing McPherson at that point. Uh, Avila then scores on a 27-yard field goal by Kayvon Mortazavi with 5.51 left in the first quarter. Cuts in the McPherson lead a little bit, but the Bulldogs still lead 6-3. to three. Uh, Avila does take the lead towards the end of the first quarter with 20 seconds left in that quarter. Eli Williams, quarterback, scores on a three-yard run. And with the extra point, that puts Avila up 10 to 6 at the end of the, the first quarter. In the second second quarter, each team scores once. Uh, McPherson scores on a 26-yard field goal with 10 minutes left in the first half. Uh, cuts into Avila's lead, but Avila does the lead at that point 10 to 9. And then the Eagles extend their lead to 7 with a Malik Nesbitt 49-yard touchdown run with 8-11 left in the second quarter. Uh, failed extra point makes it 16 to 9, which would be the score headed into halftime. Uh, coming out of the break, McPherson ties it up with 13 12 left in the third quarter on a Jonathan White 80 yard run. You hear his name a lot about every week. He's one of the top rushers in the conference and, and makes a count on that play. Uh, just a one play 80 yard drive in 13 seconds uh, makes it 16 to 16 at that point. Uh, Avila regains the lead with 12.04 left, so only about a minute later. 
uh, on a Malik Nesbitt 10 yard run. Uh, that makes it 23 to 16 at that point. Eli Williams, the quarterback, gets his second rushing touchdown of the day with 7.04 left in the third quarter. That caps an eight play, 47 yard drive in a little over three minutes. And at that point, that makes it uh, 30 to 16, Avila. Moving on to the fourth quarter, Avila continues that momentum, scores twice at the end of the third quarter, and then picks up two straight scores at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Um, Late Nesbitt gets his, let's see, one, two, and then third rushing touchdown on the day. 71-yard touchdown run uh, with 12-15 left in the fourth quarter. Makes it 36-16, to Avila. Then the Eagles score on the defensive side of the ball. Javon Taylor picks off the ball and takes it 64 yards to the house with 8.29 left in the fourth quarter. That makes it 43-16. to Avila, uh, McPherson does add on another score at the end of the game with 1.44 left in the game. Uh, Zabo connects with Mayshaw Jr. on a 22-yard touchdown pass to make it 43-23. to with Avila leading at that point, McPherson not able to tack on any more scores um, after that final hookup between Zabo and Mayshaw Jr. So 43 to 23 is our final. Looking at some offensive statistics, comparing the two teams, really pretty even as far as first downs. McPherson actually leads in the first down battle, 16 to only 15 for Avila. Uh, third down efficiency, Avila leads in the conversion rate, 50%. Uh, they had 14 opportunities, converted seven of them. McPherson, five of 16 in third down situations. So that's a conversion rate of 31%. Uh, Avila went one of one on fourth down conversions. And then McPherson in that situation a little bit more often. Uh, they are two of four on fourth down conversion attempts for a 50% conversion rate. Um, total offensive yards, Avila leads, but it's not a huge margin, 354 total offensive yards compared to 303 for the Bulldogs. Net passing, McPherson actually leads this statistic, 147 yards compared to only 141 for Avila, uh, where you see the big difference and where it swings in Avila's favor is net rushing, 213 rushing yards as a team on 35 carries as a a 6.1 yard average for the Eagles. Bulldogs had 156 rushing yards on 37 attempts for a 4.2 yard average. Uh, Avila only punted three times on the day for 151 yards. McPherson having to punt six times on the day for 208 yards. Penalties, neither team penalized a lot. Avila um, actually had the most penalties, three three penalties for 22 yards lost. McPherson only penalized once in this game for for a six yard loss. Uh, Each team loses a couple Turnovers on the day. Uh, McPherson loses a fumble. Avila actually loses uh, three fumbles on the day. Uh, and then each team gets an interception on the day. Time of possession actually goes in McPherson's favor. 32 minutes and 49 seconds compared to only 27 minutes and 11 seconds that Avila had the ball, but Avila just able to convert on on plays and some big plays when they had the ball there. Uh, what stands out to you as far as individual offensive statistics between these two teams? We'll start with McPherson, uh, Tristan Zabo, 16 to 29, 147 yards, 
one touchdown, one interception in this one uh, as the passer for the Bulldogs. But the the main statistic standing out again is Jonathan White, uh, that leading conference rusher. He leads all rushers in terms of yardage in this game, 163 yards on 22 attempts. He also adds seven receptions for 33 yards, so 196 yards of total offense for Jonathan White on the day. Really that main offensive threat for McPherson does score a touchdown as well. Um, in terms of other scores, uh, Mayshaw Jr. Uh, gets 28 reception yards, one touchdown though as well as kind of those those main offensive threats for McPherson uh, special teams for McPherson Jimmy Mai uh, one for one on his field goal attempts two or three on extra point attempts scores five points Kevin Dodd punts it six times 208 yards 34.7 average one touchback two of those in the side the 20 as well uh, so a, a fairly effective day punting the ball uh, for the the bulldog punter statistics for avila actually stands out that eli williams the quarterback for avila is held out of the end zone passing he's one of the the top passers in terms of scoring touchdowns in the conference goes 10 and 19 141 yards no touchdowns does throw an interception uh, but malik nesbitt the standout for avila uh, the the best rusher in terms of average per carry in this game, 9.4 yards per carry on 16 attempts, 150 yards, scores three rushing touchdowns. Eli Williams adds two rushing touchdowns on 10 attempts for 35 yards as it's really the running game that uh, leads Avila to victory here. Uh, in terms of receiving, Andrew Williams, the, the top receiver for Avila, seven receptions, 89 yards, 12.7 average. Melvin Reed gets three receptions for 52 yards, a 17.3 average. It's the only two Eagles that catch passes in this game. Uh, so only two catching passes. Look at kicking. Uh, Kayvon Mortazavi, one for one on his field goal attempts. Four of six on extra points attempts, scores seven points in the game. Gary Elder called upon to punt three times, 151 yards on those, a 50.3 average, a long of 74 in this one. Uh, does punt one into the back of the end zone for a touchdown. The other two punts uh, end up inside the 20, so a really effective punting day for uh, the Avila punter. What stood out defensively to you, Mark? Taking a look at McPherson first, they are led in tackles by Corey Chairs and Jacoas Wilson. They both had six tackles on the day. Um, as I mentioned earlier, McPherson able to force several turnovers. They had three forced fumbles on the day, able to recover two of them. So fumbles are forced by Taylon Garland, Caleb Hamblin, and then one is credited to the team. Uh, Avery Crawford has one of the fumble recoveries and returns at 21 yards. Uh, Quentin Powell recovers one of the other fumbles. Um, for zero yards. We had some other statistics. Tavon Garland, I mentioned he, he forced a fumble. He also had an interception on the day for an 11-yard return. Uh, he also had three tackles on the day. Tegan Shepard, good game for uh, the uh, for the Bulldogs. Four tackles. Half of those are tackles for loss, and one of those is a sack. And we had some other statistics for the Bulldogs. I think I mentioned Hamblin forcing a fumble. He also had three tackles on the day. 
one of those being a sack. Uh, moving on to uh, Avila, they were led in tackles by Joey Morris, 10 total tackles. Uh, Nick Frillo, nine tackles, and one of those is a sack. Jose Bautista, also nine tackles with two and a half tackles for loss, including a sack. Uh, Javon Taylor, five tackles on the day. Uh, he also had an interception with a return for 64 yards there. Uh, looking at some other Avila statistics, as a team, they had nine tackles for loss, for loss to 39 yards, and five sacks on the day. And just kind of a, a fun note, Eli Williams, the quarterback for Avila, gets a tackle there on the day. Not something you, you always see from offensive players, but he's he's uh, getting his money's worth passing, rushing, and gets a tackle on the day. Uh, but now I'll move on to our final game of the day with some significance, Bethel at St. Mary. Yeah, so Bethel in their final KCAC game of the season, they're on a bye in the last week of the season. Uh, So a win here will guarantee them at least a share of the KCAC title. So let's go into the scoring summary. It is Bethel that gets on the board first, this time in the second quarter. Uh, DJ Sears, an 18-yard run to make it 7-0 Bethel. in that second quarter and before the half uh, 5.35 to play Bethel able to make another play this time on the defensive end they get a safety makes it 9 to nothing. St. Mary able to get the ball back uh, in the second quarter and they do score a touchdown heading into half 4 seconds left to play uh, Landon Beecham they get that ball back on his interception that he takes back 50 yards to the house and that 9 to 7 Bethel lead is the score heading into halftime and it's a close game heading into the third quarter Uh, but Bethel able to extend the lead coming out of the third quarter uh, with a DJ Sears 12 yard run makes it 16-17 Bethel extends the lead again Caden Christensen a 5 yard run makes it 23-7 in the third quarter St. Mary uh, working on that comeback 29 seconds uh, to go in the third quarter, an Orion Warmly 59-yard touchdown reception from Shane Bishop cuts it to 23-14, and the comeback is on uh, the pursuing kickoff. Uh, a big boot, big play coming. Bethel College, Cody Baxter, 60-yard kickoff return for a touchdown and extends that lead right back up 30-14, to heading into the fourth quarter. Uh, St. Mary's still looking to come back. Andrew Rowland, 61-yard touchdown reception from Shane Bishop, uh, cuts it to 9, 30-21 Bethel lead at this point, but then Bethel shuts the door. Scott Greider, 46-yard run to make it 37-21. Then Cassius McRae for Bethel, a 23-yard run, makes it 44-21. to And Bethel again able to, sco- to score defensively. Uh, Brendan Sanders, 30-yard fumble recovery to make it 51-21, to which is your final score. And congratulations to the Bethel College Threshers who are KCAC at least co-champions. We'll have to see what results are this weekend on on if it's a single championship or if there are other KCAC champions, but Bethel College secures at least a share of the KCAC championship. Look at team statistics. Uh, Bethel dominates in first downs, 27 to St. Mary's, 7 third down, 
efficiency, 48% for Bethel, 21% for St. Mary. Bethel gets 430 yards of total offense compared to 238 for St. Mary. St. Mary wins the passing yards, though, 228 passing yards to just 82 from Bethel. Uh, But if you look at net rushing yards, 348 yards rushing for Bethel. Bethel able to hold St. Mary to just 10 yards rushing on the day. Uh, Punts. Bethel punts it twice for 77 yards. St. Mary eight times for 224 yards. Uh, Penalties, seven by St. Mary for 69 yards, three by Bethel for 36 yards. Both teams lose a fumble. Uh, Bethel able to pick off St. Mary three times. St. Mary picks off Bethel once. So the turnover battle is four to two. Uh, Bethel wins that battle. Time of possession, Bethel gets almost 10 minutes more of possession 34 minutes to 25 minutes for st mary what stood out to you offensively mark well again st mary first quarterback shane bishop went 10 of 25 on the day for 228 yards uh, had two touchdowns but did throw three picks uh, as he mentioned st mary rushing attack is kind of snuffed out by bethel's defense Leading rusher for St. Mary was Raymond Webster. He had seven carries for 10 yards. Uh, Jartavius Martin led the team in carries with 11, uh, but he only had eight yards. So that's a 0.7 yard average. And then Shane Bishop, the quarterback, also had four carries on the day for a total of six yards. Um, then there's kind of a, a handful of other spires that got, car- that got carries on the day, but nobody able to pick up positive yardage um, from the remaining rushers. Looking at receiving for the Spires, this may be the standout statistic day for them. Orion Wormley, two catches, uh, but those go for 87 yards, and one of those is a touchdown. Andrew Rowland, only one catch, but that catch goes for a score, 61-yard touchdown there. Um, Jair Stewart and Josh Walker both only get one catch on the day for the Spires, but they make it count. Stewart's one catch is for 36 yards. Walker's one catch is for 25 yards. So um, trying to contribute a couple big plays there. Then Raymond Webster, Jartavis Martin, and Davian Norman all had at least one catch on the day for the Spires. Uh, Felipe Uarte for the Spires. 0 of 1 on field goals, 3 of 3 on extra points to pick up 3 points there. Vincent Matique, the punter for St. Mary, 8 punts for 224 yards on the day. And then Urarte and Bryce Godfrey both had kickoffs on the day for St. Mary. Looking at Bethel, DJ Sears, quarterback, 6 of 12, passing for 82 yards. Uh, doesn't score through the air, does throw one pick. Uh, as you mentioned, the, the rushing attack for Bethel Stellar on the day, 348 total yards. Uh, you see that dominated by four ball carriers that had double-digit uh, number of carries. Cassius McRae leads the team in total yards with 115, and he's tied for the team lead with 17 carries, so that's a 6.8-yard average. And he has a touchdown today. Scott Ryder also tied for the team lead in carries, 17 Uh, He has 87 yards on the day, so a little bit over five yards uh, average per carry. He has one touchdown the day. Cade Christensen, 15 carries for 58 yards and a touchdown. And then the quarterback, DJ Sears, he also has double-digit carries, uh, 13 for 47 yards and two touchdowns. That looks like at least eight other threshers on the day 
have carries. I think once they that goal got ahead, they started to really rely on the rushing game, trying to kill clock there and, and kind of uh, get a lot of people, a lot of different people carries there for Bethel. Uh, receiving wise, Braden Francis, three catches for 57 yards, leads the team in both of those categories. Caden Hernandez, Isaac Harkness, and Mario Quintero also have catches on the day for Bethel. Logan Naman, the kicker, 0 of 2 on field goals, but 7 of 7 on extra points to add 7 points to Bethel's total. Braden Francis, the receiver, is also their punter. Um, two punts for 77 yards. Both of those punts inside the 20, so he's trying to help out the Bethel defense there and try to force uh, trying to force St. Mary kind of back in their own territory and, and help out that Bethel defense there. So good job there by Braden Francis. And then Logan Demond, the kicker, also had eight kickoffs for 425 yards on the day. Half of his uh, kickoffs were touchbacks and he had a 53.1 yard kickoff average on the day. Uh, what stands out to you on defense between these two teams? The University of St. Mary, three players in double-figure tackles, and I'm guessing you would guess that I would say Hennessy Thomas leads the team in tackles. He does not. He gets 15 tackles, which surprisingly does not lead the team. So Hennessy Thomas, 15 tackles, one and a half tackles for a loss. But it's Jackson Curtis that leads the team in tackles, 18 total tackles for Curtis on the day forces a fumble as well uh, the other player in double figure tackles was Garrett Carter he had 12 total tackles including a tackle for a loss on the day uh, the other big play uh, on the defensive end for St. Mary coming from Landon Beecham the one interception uh, that he takes to the house uh, for a 50 yard touchdown return defensive t- statistics for Bethel that stand out Josh Seabolt leads the team in total tackles gets 11 total tackles including a tackle for a loss and forces a fumble in this one three interceptions by the Threshers that they're able to force Grant Godsey uh, three tackles and interception that he takes back 39 yards before being tackled uh, Philip Williams a tackle and an interception in this one and then Trey Palmer uh, does not record a tackle but does get another interception in this one. Uh, The other big defensive play coming from Brendan Sanders, a fumble recovery, takes it back 30 yards, gets a defensive touchdown on this one. He also did not have any tackles in the game as well. Uh, But it is Bethany that, or Bethel that wins the game. Bethel that holds a share of the KCAC title uh, as we head into the last week of the regular season. We'll see if we have uh, any other Uh, conference champions to go along with Bethel. Uh, But that brings us to the end of the KCAC weekend scoreboard. Well, we thank you all for listening. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode on the KCAC Beat podcast feed. Uh, As we mentioned at the top, busy week in conference championships, uh, semifinals and finals for men's and women's soccer. Semifinals will be on Wednesday at Stryker Sports Complex. Finals will be on Saturday at Stryker uh, Volleyball. Championship tournament kicks off on Tuesday at home sites. And then Friday and Saturday, you'll see the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals at Hutchinson Sports Arena in Hutchinson, Kansas. So um, make sure you're paying attention to kcacsports.com for results. Make sure you go to kcacnetwork.com to see live streams there. And for all of us here at the conference office, we hope you have a great day and a great start to your week.
You've been listening to the KCAC Beat. For more information on the KCAC, go to www.kcacsports.com.